Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to the Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Do you have a mate that doesn't seem great? Maybe their team is up, but they're still down. A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Dare Iced Coffee, a proud partner of Are You Okay? And good evening and welcome. I'm Dermot Brereton. This is the conversations that could for Are You Okay? This show is all about the introduction of mental health into the sporting arena and in everyday life. Something pretty special and important to me, given the history that I've fortunately and unfortunately had. So we're going to learn from our guests how best to deal with some of the pitfalls, some of the trials, some of the tribulations of how we go through life and learn from our mistakes and our triumphs. I'm sure that we all look back at history of our own and and say that was done well and that could have been done better. But we're going to learn so much more about that. Our guest today is Dr. Ben Robbins, former AFL player with the Brisbane Bears, Brisbane Lions and the Kangaroos. Now, these days, Ben is the head of mental health and well-being at the St Kilda Football Club with a PhD in clinical psychology and his doctorate investigated the psychological well-being of professional athletes. And he also, I'm reliably informed, has a degree in good blokery, I'm told. Dr. Ben, welcome. (laughs) Depends who you asked that last one. Uh, but, uh, no, thanks. Uh, thanks, Derm. Great to be here. Great to be here for a chat with you. Now, you've had quite a history, and we'll talk about that uh, shortly. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your role at this point in time, so people can get a feel for uh, who you are, what you're about, how you are going about it as well. Thanks. Um, started with the Saints uh, the end of 2019, a couple of months before the world knew anything about COVID-19, um, and I was coming into this role part-time, three days a week, as the yeah the club psychologist. And it started off relatively normally. So we were getting preparing to play our 2020 season. Um, the, the club itself we were really supportive and open around some of the ideas that I would have liked, that I wanted to implement amongst the playing group. Um, Brett Ratton coming in as a new coach. Uh, David Rath as the head of footy. A number of other you know, new staff come on board at the same time. Playing group changed a bit, so it felt like there was a um, um, bit of a platform for change. Um, and then, yeah, we sort of ran into the pandemic, and ever since then it's really just been responding and adjusting to that. Um, as we all know, it's a really hard thing to predict. Um, you know, we ended up in Noosa for three months last year, and we've had a couple of trips into state uh, this year, week at a time. And we've been up and down this year, whereas last year we were a really consistent team. So um, there's always something happening. It's a really interesting role. 
um, one much bigger than probably what I anticipated it was going to be when I started, that's for sure. Ben, we've got so many uh, attributes as league footballers, as league football clubs, and they are, you know, we have the, the, the staff who put together the fixture and the, and the, all the behind-the-scenes uh, antics. We have trainers, we have phys ed people, and the last, it seems like the last piece of the puzzle to come together for league footballers is mental health and well-being. Was it overdue? Was it was it just about right? Has society taken its time? We dragged our heels getting it into football clubs. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's, an inter- it's interesting history. I mean, certainly... When I was, I remember when I was playing at the at the Lions, we had a we had a sports psych that would come in and periodically do stuff with us, you know, as a group. I can't remember ever doing anything one on one with the psychologist at any of the clubs I was at. Uh, I did think it was an area that I would have liked to have worked in as a player. I did think there was a lot of room. I didn't really know anything about my own psychology. I just played, played, and did what I've always done, which was sort of crack it at the umpires and want to argue with them and rather than you know getting on with things at times and I never sort of tried to change that and I, I felt like when I finished my career and sort of started looking into psychology I felt like there was an opportunity here that had that we were missing certainly from a performance perspective mental health not as much I, I, again at, I don't know how you found it but in my playing day you know we, we sort of didn't talk at all about depression or anxiety or any of the other things we do now i'm certain they were happening but just undiagnosed or certainly not certainly not spoken about as openly as what they are now you left that that word hanging there undiagnosed i can say in my day we we looked at players who were incapable of carrying out you know the role of being a good footballer for whatever reasons and and in my day the greater football world would say oh he gets dropped he can't handle the pressure. He's that, yeah, that's weak. These days we look back as how many fantastic footballers might we have lost because we didn't give them the correct care with mental health. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a really hard question to answer, obviously, because um, there's so many factors that go into uh, into our well-being, into our mental health. I mean, we, we, we're saying we're seeing this with the Olympics now. You know, it's been a, obviously a really topical issue around some of the athletes and really high-profile athletes who stepped away times during the games. You saw it with Naomi Osaka, the um, tennis player. It is something that this experience of pressure and our ability to manage it, it can it can be something that fluctuates based on a whole range of different factors that's going on in our lives. And with our sports people. We just see what they do, you know, on the two hours in our game of the weekend, and that's all we that's all we know. We don't know what's happening in their personal lives, what's going on with their kids or their parents or anything else. And and, and when we take this as a whole, the whole person, it becomes much easier to understand why sometimes pressure impacts us in you know in different ways. And obviously, uh, being the the doctor down at St Kilda in this space, I mean, you've got. Um client, patient, you've, the, the players are your patients, your clients, and so you'll have that confidentiality. But w- we saw Paddy Ryder sit out for a game or two this season it, because of yeah. this this space. Um, that would have been unheard of uh, a decade ago. It would have been unheard of six, seven years ago. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it it certainly has um, it certainly has become more common. I'm not sure what the data would say. It feels like that anecdotally. It feels like it is. Um, it has happened more regularly of recent times. It's hard to say why or what's behind that, what's causing that. I mean, obviously, the situation we're in right now, that we're all in, not just the AFL, not just AFL footballers, obviously, this has caused, you know, significant disruption to our lives and to our, and by consequence, our own well-being and mental health. So you're dealing with elite footballers and, and they're paid for their job. So they're getting paid and, and yeah, the, we understand some of them have given, you know, uh, they're, they're taken pay cuts and the likes. But there are so many aspiring footballers out there that play at the local level who are on the verge of league talent and, and they are having their the hopes of a dream to play at a higher level taken away routinely, week in, week out. How How is... Is it best for them to cope? If one of those gets the chance to walk into your to your room, says, well, I was hoping for a big second half of the year. We've played two games out of the last five. How do you how do you talk to a young man like that or girl? Well, look, it is is a really really difficult one. Uh, I got two kids. So I got a sixteen year old and I got a thirteen year old. Oh, good luck. <laughs> And that, well, they well they just both you know they miss the most they miss playing footy yeah you know, they both love playing footy and um, that's yeah that the school sort of continues in a way you know they're online whatever but that, so there's so many people and kids in particular they're in this boat and I really do feel for them because people that are my age our age what's another year it's sort of every year's the same really but when you're 16 every year it's so exciting and so different there's so much happening and. Yeah, they've lost that. So I guess that to an, to answer your question, there's there's a couple of things, and these are the same things I talk to my kids about, to what we talk to our players about all the time. And it's really simple to understand. It's very hard to do. What can you control in any situation? What can I control here? And it's not the pandemic. It's not lockdown. These things we can't control. We, in some ways, our emotions happen as well. We're going to feel whatever it might be, frustration, anger, disappointment, sadness, that's all normal. It's what we do with that that matters, and it's trying to stay focused on, all right, there's lots of stuff around here that we can't control, but what can we? And let's try and keep our attention on those things. Easy to say, hard to do. There's so much more I'm going to drill into. Our guest today is Dr Ben Robbins, former AFL player with the Brisbane Bears, Brisbane Lions and the Kangaroos. Ben is the Head of Mental Health and Wellbeing at the St Kilda Football Club. This is the Conversations That Could for Are You OK? Dare Ice Coffee, a proud partner of Are You OK? More in a moment. Welcome back to the Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Mate not feeling great? A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Indeed, welcome back to the Conversations That Could for Are You Okay? Talking to Dr Ben Robbins. He is a psychologist and responsible for everybody's health and well-being down at St Kilda. We're going to drill into a little bit more about the, the players' aspect Try and let me in on what makes a young man, a young man who pl- loves his footy. He comes from Mafra and he's a junior footballer. What eventually leads him into 
the area where he becomes a, a psychologist, a sports psychologist, and arrives at the St Kilda Footy Club all those years later? It's interesting. So I, I got drafted at the end of year 11 and wanted to stay in Victoria to finish year 12. And at the end of year 12, I got into a psychology degree. I was interested in it. I can't tell you exactly why. I just, I just was. You know, I get into this degree and I go along to one lecture and nope, this is not for me. I was trying to, you know, trying to play footy, trying to build a career. I was just so far off my head, I, I just left. And that was it. Yeah, played my AFL career, finished up, and then ended up working at Toll Transport through the AFL Players Association. They were to, you know, you do some work experience anyway. So I was working there for a number of years. As a? Well, I was working in a, like an operations role. Yep. And then uh, in, in head office. And then I got I moved into a HR role. It was like uh, leadership development and training our staff and things like that. And my boss was an organisational psychologist. And so was my colleague. And the work they were doing was really interesting. And I thought, I used to like this. I'm going to investigate studying, and which I did. So I studied, I worked, and it took about eight years full-time of sort of study and then sort of working, did some stuff at North Melbourne. And so it was a, it was a long haul, but um, uh, massively rewarding. It's a really interesting career. It, it, it is Interesting, is it? I know that we look at players, footballers, their size and shape. I know that playing the position I did, Ben, I'd go out on the ground and 211 games, every player I ever played against was bigger than me. So I'd look at them and try and sum up their emotional state. And I, I kind of think I became a mini bush psychologist <laughs> as to the frame of mind, the state of mind that my opponent was in, what was going to make him tick, what was going to make him shy away. And you'd end up studying people. And it, I don't know whether it's a, a, a bonus or whether it's a, a hindrance, but I, I keep finding I still study people. So you kind of fall into it. It sounds like when you got to toll and then you got into HR. That's the link up between, as a young man, what interested you, and then as an adult, you you fell into that HR area, and that brought the two together again. Just like a young footballer tries to sum up his opponent. Yeah, it honestly had not sort of crossed my mind as a player to take it up again. Like I just you're playing, and then yeah, I think there is an element of that that it's sort of just by chance really that I came across it again. And, I, and I, But then I did think, you know, my playing experience, I think I can use some of this to help me actually be a better psychologist, certainly if you're working in sport. I think it's, it's, it is helpful that I've sat where some of our players sit now. I was not a star by any means, just a bloody butler, and, and which most of the guys on our list, that's what, you know, they're just, they're, they're just um, trying to play a role in the team, trying to, you know, work on a career, build a career, sustain a career, and I think that's helpful to me to some extent, definitely. You've interacted with so many footballers now in this area, understanding client confidentiality. Are you able to tell us some of the players you think, wow, that was an, an unbelievably skilled performance that they've used their mind, they've used their mental processing to, to benefit through this area? Is there anybody who's succeeded through through the application of that style of preparation? The thing which mainly stands out to me is guys who play through injury. Most players have something going on, certainly by this time of year, around 21, there's something happening, and they're able to still go out and play and play to, okay, it's not their absolute high standard, 
but to play a really um, important role for the team. Those guys, you know, they can sort of push pain, if you like, to one side, and they're not going out injured, but they're going out, they're dealing with something. Those guys have this ability to just remain present and just focus on their task. And that's what we ask, really, of all our, of all our players. When I think of my old teammates, so one guy immediately stands to mind, my old captain, Michael Voss, he was just, you know, single-minded, on task. He would make as many mistakes as anyone with, say, his skills or whatever, maybe a bad kick. He did not care. Yeah, bad kick, next one, next one, and just would get on with it. He would never dwell. He was always just so in the moment. Obviously, exceptionally tough as well. So he was, he was a guy who stands out for me in that regard. Is that a trained aspect of somebody's makeup, or is it is it natural? I think for Vossi, it was quite natural. But the answer to the question is yes, you absolutely can train it. Now, I can't, you can't turn necessarily into Michael Voss, but you can definitely improve your own ability to stay on task when there's distractions around, distractions like uh, the scoreboard, bad umpiring decisions, or your own performance isn't where you want it to be. But it doesn't matter what's happening in the first half. What matters is this contest right now. And you, that is something that you can improve, certainly. Can you give us a couple of techniques? Something, something that, you know, there's a, a park footballer out there who's listening in and he says, yeah, I wish I could get better at that. What are some of the techniques? There's two main things that need to happen here. First, you've got to recognise that you're not on task. You've got to recognise that you've been distracted. You know, a good example, thinking about the outcome of the game. Okay, so it's in the last quarter, the game's in the balance, and you're thinking either, geez, I hope we win, or we better win, or we've got to win, or you're thinking, geez, I haven't touched it for three quarters. If your mind's in either of those two places, you are not going to give yourself the best chance to perform well in this contest. Take this mark, you know, kick this goal, make this tackle. Got to be in the so moment. It's very... Yeah, it's very much just about, okay, recognising you aren't in the moment, you have been distracted, and then bringing yourself back to it. You know, there's a whole range of different ways you can do that, use different triggers or anchors or breathing or whatever it might be. You see our guys breathing, trying to get into the moment quite regularly. That's just a simple tool to anchor them in the present. I was very fortunate to have a coach, Alan Jeans, and he said he taught himself a bit of psychology. He was... The youngster, but he was—he was, wasn't the title, but he was the local publican at 19 years of age up in Finlay. And he said on a Saturday afternoon, a Saturday night after he finished playing local football, he'd watch all the locals around and he'd see who'd gravitate to who from behind the bar. He'd, say who, he'd see who took the power and all the likes. And the one thing he used to always say to us about getting better at football, he said, unfortunately out there, the alcoholic can't fix himself until he recognises he has the problem. So the first step of any rectification is recognising you have a problem and speak up about yes. it. It does start with awareness. And this applies to our, the topic of our conversation here as well around your mental health. Like it's, It does really start with awareness that I'm not in the place that I want to be or that I could be. I could be doing better here. Until we actually recognise that, it's really hard to sort of do anything about it at all. We tend to just continue on in familiar, you know, habitual patterns of behaviour. Yeah, it starts with awareness. After the break, I'm going to ask you about intervention, just intervening in a good friend's life just because you can recognise something is wrong. I'm Dermot Brereton. We're with Dr Ben Robbins. This is the conversations that could for Are You OK? More in a moment. 
Welcome back to the Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. When your mate bottles it up, a dare fix won't fix it. But a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Back into the conversations that could for Are You OK? We're with Dr. Ben Robbins of the St Kilda Footy Club. Mentioned intervention, just being able to step into a mate's little area and say, I don't think this is you. How do we do this? Did I even say that right? I'd guarantee I didn't say it right. Can you educate me? How do I go about it if I see a mate that I think this is not quite right? You make even an interesting, really interesting point there, Derm, around this is what stops us often because we think we're going to say the wrong thing. You know, like, oh, have I said it right? Or what if I say something that makes them, you know, upset? But actually, if you are just being genuine and caring for your friend, caring for your mate, then usually you're going to say the absolute right thing, which is just, uh, you know, uh, how are you going? How are you feeling? What's going on? Um, the, 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 I think you I think you alluded to there. I've noticed this, this change. So normally your mate's the life of the party. Now you notice he's not really showing up, or when he does come, he's only half there. They're really they're assessments you can make because you're his you're his mate and this is just how I'm seeing things. This is just my perspective, um, and asking him and so just being genuine in how you speak to him, how you ask him or her. Um, that's the first step. And and I would imagine it could also be displayed in in their actions as completely overt behaviour compared to what they normally are. Yeah, I mean, it can manifest in a number of ways, uh, a, a whole heap of different ways. Usually, you, you, one of the main things you're looking for is changes in behaviour. So people you've been, you've known for a long time, been friends with for a long time, this is how I expect them to behave, and now they're doing something completely different. Um, what, what's actually happening there? This can be some. This th- there might be nothing, but equally it could be something that's happening for them. And your conversation really centres around that, and that's a that's a great place to start. So once we get that start, how do we know we are making real assistance? And if I can throw this, uh, give this example, um, yeah, having family tragedy with me, I know that I lost my father and my brother to mental health issues. After it came out, the one thing I wanted was people just to treat me normally. As if I was okay. As soon as I felt they were over sympathetic, it actually dragged me down a bit. How yeah. do we know what's right for a person? It's a really hard one. You have conversations with people, and you're pretty sure they're not okay. Yeah. All right, and you ask them, and they say, "No, I'm, I'm fine. I'm good." Are you sure? <laughs> I mean, how hard do you, how hard do you push here? Because if you push too hard, exactly your response there. That, that's and that's now I'm annoyed because you yeah. keep asking me. I said I'm okay, you know. So people can only people can only let you in as much as they want to let you in, you know. You but what I would what I would recommend is you keep you, you keep persisting in a way that you assess as all right. This is not annoying them. It's just showing that I care. Okay. If they say they're okay, okay, I take you in face value. But I'm gonna keep checking in with you, especially if it's somebody who's you know, been through something like the, a tragedy like you did, then I'm just going to keep checking in with you. So how are you going? If you tell me you're good, great. Let's just keep talking about it. So they're the warning signs. What are the danger signs? What do you mean by danger signs? There's bad habits. There's bad areas you can get to 
when you're down. And then there's there's worse than that, the the ultimate worst. What what's the danger sign there? Because we hear it can can display in so many different areas. But if there was one warning sign of it that, that was a real danger sign, is there is there one that sticks out more than the others for and I know everybody's different, so it's a very, very yeah. difficult question. Again, you're looking for that behavior change. I guess I mean there's a couple of things. Social withdrawal is a big one because of people if they're isolating themselves spending time on your own isn't necessarily a bad thing but it's spending a lot of time on your own especially if you have gone through something and you're just stuck with your thoughts at times this can lead us to act in ways that maybe we wouldn't normally and then i mean things like big changes in sleep or the way we eat or significant periods of sadness all of these things can be signs of you know more serious issues i guess yeah We've talked about the football club and, and players within it and how you recognise and, and the care that you give for your teammates. It's a pretty trying time out there at the moment and, and predominantly people are locked away in their homes. If, if somebody walks to you and says, hey, I have not been able to see my elderly mother, I have not been able to see my parents, I, I, I'm feeling all this... The world's closing in on me. My business is suffering. Uh, my job is vulnerable. I, I'm finding it financially difficult. There are so many aspects of these trying times right now. What What's the first stepping stone, the first flagstone we do to, to keep ourselves safe? First, let's just acknowledge how tough it is. Uh, I think I think that's really important to do. Like there might be a, a view of you know toughing it out or you know I'll be right or things will pick up. And it's good to try and take a positive approach to things. Like that that is, that is a good thing. But equally, we want to be able to acknowledge our own feelings when they're a bit more challenging. So if I'm feeling really sad, or I'm feeling really lonely. But that is actually normal. In the situation we're in, that's incredibly normal. So feeling those things. That is how you should feel if that's what's happening in your life. And for many of us, if we are isolated at home, of course, we're going to feel lonely. Okay, so I think acknowledging those things is a really important step. I mean, you're trying to, your practical stuff, you're trying to stay in contact with, you know, your friends and family as well as possible, whether that's video calls or going for a walk or whatever you, you know, whatever we're able to do, you know, on the latest, you know, COVID protocols or rules. Um you know, and then there's the really basic stuff. You know, we're exercising, we're trying to not drink too much alcohol, which you know is a can be a hard thing to do <laughs> when you're bored at home and you got nothing else to do. Okay, having a glass of red or two is a really easy thing to do, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but like everything, in moderation. So, yeah, look, this, this is a really challenging time, obviously. Um, the belief that we will get through it, it will end. But at the moment, she can be feel, feeling feeling like that's a long way off. You, you're going to think I'm mad, but I immerse myself in my pets. I breed birds. No. Yeah. <laughs> All right, okay. My yeah. mates think I'm mad, but yeah, just just <laughs> making sure that I give them every chance to uh, succeed in their cycles. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think um, we got a dog. Uh, I don't know, six months ago. So, yeah, getting a pet, not not because of COVID. It wasn't just because of COVID. We got a yeah, dog, yeah. we got a dog anyway. But, you know, that, that has certainly helped. 
Um, and that made me think of another idea, like doing something for somebody else gets you out of your own head, makes somebody else feel good. On return, you feel good about helping somebody else out. So, and whether that's a pet or another, you know, a family or friend, that's that's a really good idea as well. It's amazing the gift of giving. Uh, it's, it's some poor fellow was sitting outside the Hampton uh, uh, um, supermarket on Hampton Street down there, and I walked past, and there was a couple of silver coins in there, and I thought, no, nah, this bloke needs some help, and I pulled out a note and put it in there, and he was so well spoken, this homeless fellow. And yet the, the, the kind words he said back to me was worth more than the money I gave him. And it actually, and I, thought, I hope it helped him, but it, it actually made me feel really good. The gift of giving is, is quite extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. And if you are ever feeling a bit flat, that is something you can do pretty easily to lift yourself and obviously the person that you're helping out. Absolutely. Now, if we can just take it back to footballers, and I'll take it to another area, which is, and a lot of us find it very difficult, league footballers especially, and it does happen at lower levels also. When somebody comes out of a career, league football, uh, VFL football, SANFL, all these top-ish leagues, and if somebody on a parallel journey comes out of an industry, a business, and... That's the end of the road for that journey. That's got to be one of your major hurdles on dealing with people exiting their former vocation. Yeah, I mean, the reality is in the AFL every year, we'll have eight to 12 guys depart our list. And some of those will go to another club, most won't. That's a reality. And we all know that when we get into... Uh, the, the AFL. Um, the thing we talk about the most, and you know, this work starts well before they leave, is um, remove uh, d- disentangling your identity as a person. So Dermot Brereton, the person, uh, Dermot Brereton, the footballer, they are separate. Now they can at times seem inc- incredibly close. They almost they're the same thing. So we've got to put a bit of work in to actually untangling these things so that when this ends and this is ending, what is ending? This remains solid. Your identity of who you are as a person, how you want to act in the world, how you want to be seen in the world, this remains at your core and you know what it looks like. And then you can try and, as well as you can, even though you're feeling all these negative emotions or, sorry, challenging emotions, um, you're still grounded in the, here I am here's this person I've got a life still to live and go on with and that I mean that, that that's our that's the big picture what we're trying to do it is it, but it's a really challenging time we want to accept that as well how do you start that conversation because I would imagine a lot of people are just the head drops and unless you get that first sentence right you you, you they just don't want to engage with you how do you start that conversation? Yeah, so it's got to start before that, you know, we get to that point, okay? So we, we know we know everyone's going to finish their footy career. So we start it very early, hopefully, in their career, whether they work out, or right, well, what are, what are, you know, who, who, what is my identity? Who am I at my core? What are my values? Understand these things, okay? And then when this footy ends and your career as a sports person ends, 
you've got something, a solid foundation to fall back to, that I am still a uh, worthwhile, worthy person. Of course you are. Of course, like you're, a per, you're a person of value. Of course you are. It's just that this part of your life has now ended as an athlete, and now we look to what's next, and which can be everyone dreads it, okay, but into your own career, there's a lot of stuff about AFL football that is bloody hard work and that there's a lot of excitement about what could be next. You know, I don't have to worry about my skin folds anymore. I'm going to have as many donuts <laughs> as I like or beers or whatever. I can, and, I, and I, now I can do other things in life as well. So there, there is, yeah, there's some anxiety about the uncertainty of what's next, but also, of course, um, but also there's some excitement there too. Focus on those things. I must say, yeah. Uh... After the conclusion of my career, I never had to chew up chocolate bars and spit them out rather than swallow them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. We used to do that after, after well, during the week during game, you were so worried about every calorie that goes in. Now, after the break, I'm going to ask you what will probably be my most pointed and, and favourite question to get out of somebody so highly qualified as yourself. This is the conversations that could for Are You OK? Kickstart a conversation with Dare and are you okay? We'll wrap things up with Dr. Ben Robbins in just a moment. Welcome back to the conversations that could with Dermot Brereton. Mate, not feeling great? A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Welcome back to the conversations that could for Are You OK? Talking to Dr. Ben Robbins, Head of Mental Health and Wellbeing at the St Kilda Football Club. Now, Ben, I, I have this question and I've always wondered what makes the psychology of a league footballer, what makes somebody strive to get to league football because... I, People have asked me, who's the most ordinary bloke you've played against? And in league football, it's very difficult to find an average soul because the dedication it takes to get there weeds out what I would call, you know, the uh, uh, an average person. What can you see in young people and young girls in teenage years that has that psychology, that want to drive to get to that level? A hard question to answer. I think there's, I could answer a number of ways. I think I'll, I think I'll say this. The thing that stands out the most, I reckon, is the ability to deal with adversity. So in this career, you are going to lose a lot of games. You are going to not play well often. You're going to make a lot of mistakes every game. We make so many mistakes in every game. It's not the making of mistake or it's not the poor poor performance. It's our response to it that matters. And so, you know, the guys that get drafted now, I think overwhelmingly, I'm just looking at our list right now, the, um, the guys that get drafted and the ones that go on to have successful, long, successful careers are those that are able to accept that some days I won't play my best or we will lose. But then I get back to work the next day, the next week, and I try to improve. We don't see it as, again, come back to what we were talking about earlier, that I'm a um, bad person because I played poorly. I just know that I just didn't put in my best performance on the weekend. And I go to work, I try to improve. 
and try to get better next week and just being able to deal with that. And then the stuff in the moment, like I said, make a mistake, your ability to just, okay, what's next? What's my next task? What's the next contest? They're going to invariably, over time, body of work, they're going to be able to perform more consistently for longer. We see players who, you know, that what I would describe as the three levels of confidence. There's the player who gets into a dangerous area. He tries stuff based on ego and he tries stuff, you know, to be showy and, and flashy and that might hurt the team. There's the right area of, uh, of confidence where you know hard work and hard effort will succeed. And then there's the, the lower end where you've been unfortunate and you haven't succeeded several times in a row and you're reticent to try. That person there is what you're just semi-touching on in that last uh, uh, comment. How do you bring that person up emotionally so that the previous three, four, five, gee, even more efforts have not succeeded? How do you bring them up emotionally? Yeah, so it's, it's it's impossible to do that in the moment unless unless they've put in the work. And so what I mean by that is, so we, we go downstairs here and we're going to lift weights uh, to get stronger. Yep. Our bodies are going to become stronger. We're going to go out on the track here and we're going to run laps so we can be fitter. We're going to practice our skills so that uh, we hit our kicks on the weekend. What we have never done really until certainly certainly I'd never did as a player and I assume you didn't either, we didn't do any formal training of our mind. And what I mean by that is your ability to remain in the present is this trainable skill. And so when you've missed that kick and you've got 60, you kicked straight to the opposition, you've got 60,000 people at the G all booing you, all hating you, um, <laughs> how do you move on from that? Well, you don't just you don't just tell the guy, "I'll just move on, just don't worry about it." That's because that is not going to work. Because he is worried about it. He has to have done months and years of training of getting his mind present, and then when he's distracted by this other stuff, he just bringing it back to the present. This is what meditation is. This is why a big part of why we meditate. We're training our mind so that when stuff goes wrong on the weekend, we're able to move on. And also, equally, we're not getting too far ahead into the future. And that, oh, geez, I've played terribly or um, we're going to lose this. No, nope, bring it back. What am I doing right now? And that's really the only only answer, I think. Uh, you're you're going to think I'm mad again. Little things <laughs> during my career, like bringing in the shopping. You, you've got bags that are cutting into your hands because you're, you're taking eight bags in each hand and you want to put them down. Walking to the front door, I'd say to myself, don't you dare put that down, don't you? Just just training tiny little things in everyday life. I I remember Emil Zatopek. He was the first I'd ever heard of it. He trained himself to hold his breath till he passed out just to see how how good the strength of mind was. Now, I'm not suggesting people should do that. No, No, but you're touching a really important point there, though. So, uh, yeah, we, we spend a lot of time here you know, in a meditation practice, but then also in everyday life, just trying to, and this is, this is going to relate to uh, the conversation around mental health as well, trying to be as present as possible in everything we do. And okay, you're bringing your shopping in, 
just bring your shopping in. You can put it away in a second or you can worry about what's for dinner next. Like just one thing at a time. And again, you're training that in everyday life. And then hopefully for our players, they bring that out on the weekend, whether just one thing at a time, one task at a time, what's important, you know, right now. And that is a trainable skill. You've been very kind with your time and I thank you very much for that. But can you tell me, because it is so foreign to somebody from my era, and I'm I'm an era before you in football as well, it is so foreign to hear of meditation in the football club where people actually take time out to lie down and meditate. So once again, for the park footballer who could get a benefit out of it, how does it structure into the footballer's world yeah. now and how does it work and how do you perform it? Really great question because, again, as a player, I was really sceptical of anything like this. What do you mean count your breaths? How is that helping me get a kick on Saturday when we're in this dark room? And the, the, it's and so I, I was the biggest sceptic as anyone used to sook about having to do anything like this. But uh, the reality is you can train your body, you can train, train, your, train your craft, and you can train your mind. Okay, and we do our body, and we do our and we do our craft. We train our mind as well now uh, through yeah meditation, sure, but then other practices that we uh, that we use here. And really, what you're doing, you're training yourself to focus on one thing. Now, whether that's your breath, that might be a sound, it could be uh, your body, uh, it could be what you're eating or drinking your coffee, whatever it is. You're just keeping your attention on one thing, and what the you know, the science shows us is that this makes changes in our brain. And so when the pressure comes, uh, you know, grand final day, middle of the MCG, you're much more likely to be able to withstand that pressure and stay on task than if you've never trained it. I've never even tried to keep my mind in the present compared to the guy who's meditated for five years. Yet there's some uh, natural ability to remain present, sure, but you do need – you want to reach your potential at anything, then you've got to put some time into this. You've got to train this. And so that we do that here. I mean, every club is doing this. It's not just us by any means. But um, it's finding, I guess, getting the engagement and buy-in of the players, which we have. You know, they're, 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 they're on board as much as what we can ask of them. So um, that's, that's the challenging bit too. I would imagine that the uh... – the physical, there is a ceiling for everybody physically. Well, we see records, Olympic records is probably the ceiling in, in all these areas of uh, physical pursuit. But I'd also imagine that the human mind, uh, there's no ceiling. Well, one, not one that we're ever close to reaching. Honestly, I mean, we tend to focus on physical and technical factors because, you know, they're easy to see. Like, oh, our skills were no good on the weekend, so let's work on our kicking. Or, uh, you know, we got pushed off the ball too easily on the weekend. We need to be stronger. But, but what about our mental strength, our psychology? I mean, how do we even train that? What's it look like? It's, it's sort of been much harder to see, so we tend to just – or we have tended to just disregard it. Well, you know, that's changing, and, uh, and as it should, if we want to get the most out of ourselves as athletes and, and as people, to be, to be honest, yeah. 
Well, Ben, I'm sure the Saints are in good hands because having talked to you, if it wasn't for no cartilage in my knees and S-bend in my spine, uh, shortened hamstrings and tight Achilles, I feel like playing again after I've spoken to you. <laughs> Let's go. Come on. <laughs> Not going to happen. We need some support for Maxi King, so that'll be, um, that'd be, that'd be awesome. Uh, he's a talent, isn't he? He's very, very hey, good. He's come along well. Dr. Ben Robbins, we thank you very, very much. Most enlightening. A fantastic chat. We wish you all the best and good luck with the Saints for the rest of the season. Tony Dern, thanks for having me. Well, that was Dr. Ben Robbins, Head of Mental Health and Wellbeing at the St Kilda Football Club. And if that conversation has triggered some feelings in you that you think you need to pursue any further, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. That is 13 11 14. And they are available for you to chat to 24 hours a day. Also, our wonderful friends at Beyond Blue, they have some fantastic resources and a quick checklist you can fill out if you think that you or someone you know may be experiencing depression. That provides some great insights. Jump online to beyondblue.org.au or call 1300 46 36. That's 1300 46 If you've enjoyed this episode of the Conversations That Could for Are You OK? and you'd like to share it with a friend or access the resources in our show notes, subscribe to the podcast of the Conversations That Could wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Dermot Brereton and we'll be back next week. And remember, when your mates bottle it up, A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Thanks for listening.